Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello, and welcome to another edition of RazorWire. Um, today, we have the wonderful Stefania, who's here to talk to us, and we are going to be talking about security newbies and tips for them, what to watch out for, and, and you know what to think about as you're kind of trying to get into the InfoSec space, or if you're new into the InfoSec space, maybe looking to move on to another position, maybe it's the, the second time you know, uh, your second move or whatever it may well be. Now, being the old man of this particular duo, um, I got in sort of when I was about 18, 19, about 25 years ago. Um, So I thought it might be worthwhile to get somebody who's a lot younger than me, a lot more wiser than me, um, who did it a little bit sooner than I did because as we were discussing just before the video, when I got in, we didn't even have Google. So I thought I'd get some some wisdom from Stefania. So Stefania, do you want to kind of introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself to the, the viewers out there? Sure. Thank you so much, James. So hi, everyone. I'm Stefania Chaplin, a.k.a. Dev StefOps. And as James mentioned, I more recently uh, moved into the cybersecurity industry. I actually job hopped quite a little bit in my 20s and including being a recruiter at one point. So I'm quite good at giving advice on how to get into industries and specifically with cybersecurity because that's where I've been for the last six, seven years. Fantastic. And uh, funnily enough, we, sh- we share a commonality there. One of my first ever roles was a recruiter for IT back in the mid-90s. Um, again, that was when we had paper and CVs were on paper in, in filing cabinets and everybody was worried about year 2K. Now, over the years, it's definitely changed and security back when I first got in, it wasn't even called security. It wasn't even really called IT security even. You were just part of the IT department who specialized in security and a lot of people back then, the, the, the way to get into it was obviously through IT. Um, there wasn't even any university courses. The CISSP, CISM wasn't even around back then. If you wanted to do a course in security, it was basically the Microsoft courses, of which I did do for NT4, which is completely defunct now. So, Stefania, do you want to kind of just give a bit of a highlight as to what you experienced kind of seven years ago? Obviously, you know, you were in recruitment and you, you said your job hopped. What was the thing, the driving force that made you think, oh, security might be a thing for me to get into? So I kind of fell into it a little bit, as sometimes people do. I was actually, I had been a recruiter, then I was working as a developer, and I was trying to decide whether to be a, I had two um, two job offers in front of me, which I got both of them via recruiters. Um, and one of them was to be a developer um, in a fintech. Um, so to continue being a developer. And the other one was uh, to be a solutions architect in cybersecurity. Um, and it sounds really silly, but if there are any hiring managers out there, you would be amazed at what makes people make the decisions that will ultimately, you know, end up being their lives. But um, that was my, when I was interviewing at the cybersecurity company, that was my first ever time in a WeWork. So this was like, you know, 2016, 2017. And um, 
I remember calling my mum and being like, they've got the best tea selection of anywhere I've ever been. And I could see myself working there and having tea and being in a good time when I compared to the um, developer in the more fintech, you know, they had a pool table and bean bags, but they, their kitchen wasn't as nice. So at least for me, and I think this goes a bit sometimes if you're going to generalize diversity, it's like, yeah, if you have nice facilities or like you have childcare or you have ways that you can, you know, entice people that isn't Jedis and pizza nights and beer and all that, I think it can definitely, you know, help with diversity hiring. Because as I said, I wasn't actually like I knew cybersecurity was going to be huge because yeah, the essence, as we move to IT, we'll need to secure it. So I always go for growth industries, but actually it was the T that did it. Um, so yeah, always think about the the non, non-financial benefits of working at your organization. It must have been weird having that 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 choice. It's like, hmm, you know, security. Does it, did, did you think, hmm, security actually sounds a little bit on the sexy side? It sounds like it could be something quite fun. I think for me, it was that it's very, very broad in terms of there's a lot of things you can do in security. So you can really have it to fit your personality type. So for example, if you want to break things, great, go be on the red team, go find the problems, go hack your, hack your colleagues' codes. Um, but if you want to, you know, protect and you want to build and you want to, you know, you know, triage, remediate, et cetera, you know, go on the blue. Or maybe if you like both, you know, hey, a bit of purple. And if you're coming from law or finance, why don't you just do regulation and policy? That doesn't sound dissimilar from what you're probably doing in heavily regulated industries. So I think that's the thing with security because it is so broad. There is, um, I'm not going to say there's something for everyone, but um, assuming that you have the mindset where you can think securely in terms of thinking, okay, what could go wrong? Where, where, how could someone get in? If you just apply that, even if you're just a developer, just a developer, even if you're not working in security, for example, development, if you apply that mindset of like, okay, what, what, what could happen? Um, that automatically gets you thinking securely. And then you just have to level that up. And then you've got, well, at least you've got the mindset for a career in security. And that's a good, important point, actually. It's something that I've, I've said a lot in, in my career when I've been talking to people and mentoring people in, into this space. Mindset is everything. And there are some, a, a number of soft skills which work really, really well in this space to learn and develop. Obviously, one of them is general communication. You'll be surprised how many people can't communicate efficiently or effectively. Understanding a bit of neuro-linguistic programming or rapport or any of the kind of techniques in comms and written as well, because quite often at some point you're going to write a report. So you better be able to write one that works. And I mean, my style of reporting is probably a little bit more closer to the way that you would do university papers or something like that, which is very paragraph driven. But I see a lot of reports coming out of, of people who are new to the game. I'm like, no, too, either too much information, too little information, or it's just higgledy-piggledy everywhere. And it's like, we need to get, to, you know, we need to work on you with some comms. Uh, and then there's the talking to the, the business owner or the talking to the development team or talking to the IT team. And comms is such an important part of it, knowing how to communicate to those groups because you talk to them very, very differently. In some cases, you have to be a little bit careful with some of them because they're like a pack of wild wolves at the bottom of a tree. If you get it wrong and you fall out of your tree, they're going to just tear you apart and you'll lose all credibility. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. And it's something I love about my role as a solutions architect is I speak to so many different types of people. 
So um, not only do I have all of the different internal stakeholders, but I also speak to organizations and speak to all of their internal stakeholders. So it's, you know, balancing like, you know, am I speaking to C-suite who literally just want three bullet points, you know, and ha- and like driving those three bullet points like, yeah, we need to be secure because, you know, your board vision is digital transformation and we want this to run quickly and safely and not have backlog and be on budget. So that's why we need to have this scanning. Um, compared to the actual developers, they might be like, oh, okay, we need to include this scanning. Uh, what's the config file? Like, how, how do I need to? And then, you know, being able to translate that. So it's very much a case. I always think this, I do a lot of, a lot of public speaking. And my first question is always, who is the audience? Because no matter, before you start doing any work that you might be delivered to others, the most important thing is, who is my audience? What are their motivators? What is their skill level? How much do they need to know? They don't, they might not need a 20 page CV report, but what they might need is, yeah, the, the five line summary about these are the problems. This is maybe, well, maybe say why they're there. Maybe you don't. You say, this is what we're going to do about it. And this is the timeline and budget. So it's very, very much about, I like to keep things brief like that on purpose. And that way, if people want more information, it can spark, it can do a conversation. Cause yeah, if you overload or even worse, overload with mistakes, then yes, you're going to lose all credibility. So I think, yeah, communication really is an important point. Absolutely. And it's, it's good to hear that. I mean, the other thing I've also noted is you've also got to look at where the individuals are coming from. So the way you, you know, Americans, for instance, they don't do chit chat. So you just go in, you, you get straight to the point, time is money kind of thing. Whereas in Switzerland, they kind of expect a certain level of just general chat beforehand. I mean, we're English, so we always chat about the weather. You yes. know, and, and 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 understanding that can really kind of help as well to kind of get that initial rapport because the worst thing in the world is to go into a board over in the states and start talking about the wet. They don't care about the weather. They 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 care about why they're there. That, that's what they want to know. And I think the other thing that I always say to is uh, a bit of a tip for any security newbies: get to know psychology or at least some base level psychology. You know how to communicate is is a part of that but also personality types to spot. You know, who to spot in the room who's, who's actually got the power. Because quite frequently, as I, my mentor taught me, you know, it's not the person you think it is, or it's not the group that you think it is. Especially, and, and looking at the type of company as well, it's, it's quite funny that you mentioned the type of the company. Because if you're, like, I, I, you know, I used to work for one of the major newspapers. I used to look after the security there. And the power very much resided with the journalists. Whatever the journalists wanted, they got. So when you were dealing with that bunch, you had to deal with them in a very different way than feasibly you'd deal with marketing or finance or, you know, the board. Because the board was mainly made up of predominantly journalists, you know. So whatever they wanted, they pretty much ended up getting. Is that what you find as well? I've ha- I've heard um, similar stories, but not specifically about journalists. I've heard stories where in large financial institutions, they've changed coffee machines to a cheaper or, you know, a less, less nice brand. All of a sudden, the developers revolt. And then the developers got nice coffee machines, but the rest of the business didn't. Or similarly, I was talking to someone in a large bank who wasn't that she wasn't, I think she was project manager. She wasn't particularly technical, but she said she was finding it quite challenging because they'd redone their hardware. This is when people were still in offices 
And all of a sudden she had like, I don't know, a tw- I don't know distances, but I'm going to say 28 inch curved screen around her because that's what all the developers wanted. So um, it's interesting your experience uh, working at a newspaper with journalists, because I think definitely developers um, have a lot of power, which brings us back to kind of, I say the security, because if you have developers who with a secure mindset and secure coding skills and who you know, either could be security champions or want to be secure. If you're one of those developers, you're going to do very well because people will be like, oh, you're a developer. You're obviously awesome. But um, if you have those secure skills, that's going to make you a lot more um, advocatable, employable. You're probably going to be a lot more successful, provided as well that you manage your communication skills. Because if you're not a very nice person, those people might not do as well. So you don't, even if you know you're the most awesome in the room, don't, you don't have to show it off the whole time. So yeah, it's a delicate balance between, yeah, communication, managing the room, and obviously your own skills as well. Well, the other thing I, I say to a lot of people is uh, thick skin as well, because when you talk security with people, you're not always going to get the outcome that you want. And it'll be for a variety of different reasons. But every now and then as well, you'll come across somebody who's actively hostile. You may be doing an incident review. You might be investigating something, whether you suspect there's an insider or something that's going on internally. And it's difficult sometimes, especially depending upon the content that you're investigating. You have to kind of divorce yourself from the situation and actually go, right, what's the facts? What are the, you know, so it's a very fact driven role and job, but you've got to have that emotional understanding as well. And you're brilliant at it. You know, I, it's it's something I had to develop myself. I'm not, I wasn't naturally back in the day that good at that kind of stuff. But you've got like some fantastic energy. I mean, what are you seeing from some of the new candidates coming in? Because I know you do a lot of work with people who are trying, either trying to get in or they've just got in, and you help mentor some of the, you know, some of the the next generation of infosec. God, I sound like an old man when I say that. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of the people I speak to tend to be people who have found me on Twitter like, hi, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, let's have half an hour. Let's see how it goes. And then every now and then a few months later, I get like a little nice message like, I made it. I'm like, yay. Um, but anyway, what it tends to be is uh, usually the people are in IT, but they might be in random places. I say random places. I was talking to someone who was more um, in the like they had done like aero, like aeroplane engineering and they were working at, um, uh, I can't remember, I think like the Rolls-Royce like aeroplane factory, but they wanted to go more into security. Um, Someone else I was talking to was working at IT help desk and wanted to go to security. And someone else was just started an organization like fresh graduates and they were in development and they wanted to go into cybersecurity. So what I tend to say, and it comes back to my earlier point that cybersecurity is so broad, is try and think what the equivalent or what the closest overlap to what you're doing um, is. Um, so, for example, something that I say to people who might be like totally new um, or maybe they just have a tiny bit of development, what I say is, why don't you just check out some bug bounty programs? There's like no pressure on yourself or on anyone else. Like if you find something great, if you don't, hopefully you'll learn something. And then if you do find something, well, one, you get paid. But also uh, that could be the start of a pen testing career. Alternatively, it could be start of like a defense career because you're like, oh, I can see, you know, Everyone keeps forgetting to validate their input on their websites. We need to fix this at a strategic level. So it's very much about making the kind of, 
I say baby incremental steps, like figuring out, you know, you're not going to be a CISO tomorrow. So it's like, okay, what are the other like entry levelish jobs? Or what can I take from my role? What's transferable to some of the security roles available? And especially if you're working in an organization, what someone did that worked really well, she was one of the ones who said, yay, was go speak to your security team. They're probably stressed, they're at work, they're like under capacity and be like, hey, can I help? Can I like do an afternoon a week? Because this is something I want to get into. And they're like, oh, amazing. Then we don't have to pay a hiring fee. Yes, of course, come across. And because, yeah, mindset is everything. Well, I think a lot of it is, is the security team are usually pretty approachable because most people aren't too keen to engage with them as a general rule. It's like project managers sometimes are a bit hesitant because they know that it will come with requirements that may affect their project. So, you know, it, it, there's all kinds of ways you can get in and just engage with us. We're, we're actually pretty nice people. I mean, we may deal with some pretty unpleasant stuff from time to time and we may you know, involve ourselves in a variety of different situations. And you may even see us having a few arguments, you know. But as a general rule, we're just happy that someone's helping us out because it's a it's a tough job. It's a really tough job. Well, I think one of the unfortunate things, I mean, I did a bit of guest lecturing at a university a little while back now. Um, I must admit it was a it was a, a few years ago. And I found that Watch out with when people tell you that your degree is going to lead straight into a job where you're going to earn Twenty million pounds per year, or five thousand dollars, you know, a month, or whatever, because it, it doesn't always work that way. You have to put in the time, you have to put in the effort, and as, as Stefania just said, you've got to do your time in various different different spaces, and don't be quick to move. I say to people, if you're getting into this space for the money, the money potentially is there, but it's a little way down the line. Got to really kind of move roles for the role itself something new that you're going to learn something you're going to get involved with something ai good example if you're looking to get into infosec that's kind of an area where i would really start to try to focus to get into in the in the at least the midterm because it's the logical next phase that we're going to be taking in technology so become a, a, an expert in securing artificial intelligence or, or you know, development. I mean, Stefania's probably going to be at that point, at some point in her career. I'll be, well, I don't know, I'll be retired and potentially teaching at university. That's what I want to do when I finally finish off this, this difficult world of InfoSec. But yeah, you know, I, I suppose one of my tips really is don't chase the money, chase the experience. Watch out for certs as well. You'll get all kinds of people saying, get this cert and it'll, it'll get you this and it'll get you that. Do a bit of research, you know. As a general rule for, for the moment, and this might, might depending upon when you're watching this video, and a good ISO 27001 auditor cert and a good CISSP or preferably a CISM tends to be the ones that can get you pretty far. And I'm sure Stefania's got a couple of recommendations for, for Dev. Yeah, so I actually, I have one main cert, just because I remember I, blood, sweat, tears went into it, literally. And it was actually, it was an AWS Solutions Architect Associate cert. 
And the reason was, was because I had never worked in infrastructure or ops. I didn't really know anything about environment. And my men, and I, and whenever I had questions, I'd go to my mentor. I'm like, EC2, S3, VPC, just all these acronyms. And I didn't understand. And he said to me, he's like, you need to do this cert because then you'll be able to answer all the questions that you don't know the answer to. So actually, sometimes if you're doing a cert for a specific skill or knowledge, so the other one I started but didn't finish was a certificate for ethical hacking because I thought that would be cool. Oh, CEH. Yes, CEH, but that was more like more like interest. Like I haven't obviously given it the, the attention it needed. Whilst the AWS one, that was a, a like a, a knowledge deficit. And it's not that it's helped my conversation with security, but it's definitely helped my understanding of, okay, once I hit, you know, commit on this code, what actually happens once it's deployed? So I think, yeah, definite different reasons for doing certs. But if, if someone requires a cert, especially for an entry level role, I think you can definitely um, push back because, yeah, especially at the moment with cybersecurity, there is a real, you know, demand. Um, so I think with the right attitude and with the right communication skills in the interview, um, you can usually get around that because um, certs can just be a bit of a, a gatekeeper, an, an unnecessary one. No, I agree with you. I mean, you know, the the certs became really popular about 15 years ago. I mean, I did, I've done tons of them over the year. I've done my CEH, God, oh, before it was even really what it is now. Um, but I, I don't even refer back to it anymore. And I, I've met a lot of people who haven't got certs. It's just, all I'll say about certs is they are useful if, if you, you know, to get past those gatekeepers. But as Stefania says, if you've got the right attitude, and a good tip is if you get to an interview stage, they already think you can do the job. They're just seeing whether or not you're a good fit. So good energy, positivity. Oh, the positivity aspect. You've got to be positive in this game because uh, a lot of people in the early days were massively negative. And, it get, and we, we got a, a reputation for being doom merchants for a long time, and it took us a long time to break that model. You know, It doesn't mean you have to say yes all the time, but one tip I learned from my mentor uh, from many, many years ago, if somebody comes to you with a problem, come back with three options. Don't just say, no, you can't do it. Yes, you can do it, but do, you have to do it this way to, to, you know, to my demands. Come back with three options and let them decide on, based on those three options because at least you've got three options and people like it when they have three options. What they don't like is feeling like they're being forced in a direction. Yeah, it's very topical because I'm helping a close friend who's doing a PhD and they're currently, um, yeah, looking for jobs more in the, their, their backgrounds, machine learning rather than cybersecurity. And I've noticed that, um, when they get rejected, it, um, it's, it's, it affects them and it affects everyone. And especially like they were at final stage and they're really looking forward to it and they got the news. And normally I miss solutions, miss positivity. And when they got the news, I'm like, Oh, that really sucks. As in, you can have the night to be sad. But by the next day, come on, we need to start applying for more jobs. Like you need to, and maybe it's because I started my career um, actually in sales and recruitment. You get used to hearing that no, and it makes you a lot more resilient. So you can be like, oh, okay, they don't want me. That's their loss. Or maybe the culture wasn't right. Or maybe, you know, there's, there's probably, you know, there's a reason it happens. But um, you just have to find the next one. And you can also learn from the experience. You can ask for feedback you know, um, why was I rejected? You know, was it lack of technical skills? Was it culture fit? Because um, culture fit, you're not going to do much, but then maybe you sense that yourself. If you're like really loud and bubbly and don't have much attention to detail, and then you want to work in like, you know, security, cyber defense, government, 
that might not be the right one, but maybe you can find a nice fluffy startup where they'll love your energy and everything's positive. Um, and then if it's technical skills, maybe, maybe you don't need to do the cert, but maybe check out the, you know, the, the information about the CISSP or M and then have a read through and be like, and you might learn something. You might be like, huh, I hadn't thought about, um, app layer dependencies. That sounds quite interesting because I've heard about hacks in the news. Or, oh, okay, well, how, do, how do people secure cloud? So it might also give you ideas for other areas to branch out of. But yeah, definitely don't let rejection get you down. And that's a life skill as well, because yeah, especially at the beginning of your career, it's going to happen a lot. But in life, it's going to happen a lot. And it's very much how quickly you can get back up again. And there's lots of yeah practices and techniques I can share in another podcast um, about how to do that. Um, and a lot of it involves, yeah, surf, yoga, and sunshine. So we can leave that for another day. <laughs> Surf yoga and sunshine. I wish I'd learned that in my younger years, but we did, we had the sunshine. We didn't really have yoga. And uh, being in the UK, we're far from any decent surf. And I must admit, I didn't get paid particularly well back in the day. So the, the nice long trips. I mean, this is the other thing. The world has changed very dramatically. And I'm, we're seeing a lot more organizations now who are looking to operate in a more kind of work from home fashion. We're seeing a massive rise of digital nomads, of people who pretty much live wherever they want and they kind of just work there. Now, some of them obviously you know, have to get up in the middle of the night or you have to get up at funny hours because if you are in Australia, for instance, and you're working for a firm back in the UK and they want you on a call at a time of the, the day for them, but it's the middle of the night for you, you you've got to take them breaks. You know, that's, that's, that's what you've got to do to live that lifestyle that you want to live. So you've got a lot more options. And, and a, good, a good point that Stefania made there, actually, was information. Do your research. Because, again, back when I went to get into it, there wasn't really any information on InfoSec. You had to do a cert to get that information that you wanted to use in order to get future roles. Now, it's a very different landscape. You can... You can research pretty much anything, you know, and don't just rely on Wikipedia. Do a little bit more than just looking at the Wikipedia, obviously. But, you know, we've got channels now. We've got my master classes. I know Stefania's got a load of um, stuff that where she talks, and I'm sure there's probably some good recordings of those. Do your research and, and reach out to people on LinkedIn. That's the other thing. I mean, people reach out to me in the, in the past and said, oh, I'm terribly sorry to get in touch with you and you know, unsolicited, blah, blah, blah. But I really want to kind of get into this space. What can I do? Look for somebody who's experienced. More often than not, we're going we're gonna to say yes. And we might even introduce you to some people that we know who are looking for a particular role. As I said, we're, we're a pro- quite a decent community when we get going most of the time. There are moments. There are, there, there are a few. Yeah, that's a great point. Especially when it comes to LinkedIn, that's how I've got quite a few of my jobs, either, you know, people, recruiters approaching me, but also DMing, so direct messaging internal stakeholders at other organizations. So my uh, my friend that I'm helping out, he messaged the CTO of a startup in AI. And then that CTO was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I'd love to speak. Because also with LinkedIn, you're in fact, your profile page is your CV. So people can see, oh, is this relevant? Is this not? So, you know, there's a couple of things. Either go direct to the hiring manager. So maybe that's, you know, 
um, AppSec manager, if you want to do AppSec or, or security, maybe not directly to the CISO unless it's a smaller company. Um, but also you can go, if it is a bigger company, you can reach out to their HR. And I say bigger, it doesn't need to be that big. Like anything from more than a few hundred people, they'll usually have someone in people, in talent acquisition, etc. Um, they're not going to be very technical. They're just going to have top level. They're looking for these key skills. But if, for example, you already have, you know, a technical degree or, or bootcamp or some technical experience, they're probably going to want to at least speak to you, which gets you, you know, to the first stage of kind of opening the door. So yeah, don't underestimate LinkedIn. And then also if you start following, um, industry leaders, uh, LinkedIn, people don't often think of it, um, as a, as a social media to the same extent you know, Twitter or Instagram or, or uh, TikTok, et cetera. But with LinkedIn, what you normally get is people who are either sharing knowledge, um, insights, um, events, et cetera. So if you start following a few people in the industry, like maybe you do start following the CISO and then they're active and they post about all this. And then if you start engaging with their comments, uh, with their content and commenting, and then you slide into their uh, direct messages, then all of a sudden you're going to be in a much better place. So yeah, don't underestimate the power of LinkedIn for being able to get that first job and to create a network in cybersecurity. And that's a really good point as well. If you are going to be using LinkedIn, it's it, trust me, it's not Facebook, it's not Instagram. You know, don't post up pictures of your dog running around and falling over. You're not going to get thanked for it. If anything, it's going to be a bit on the more negative side. You need to, you know, you need to be a little bit careful with that. Just be really professional. You know, if you've got a question, ask a question. You know, if you've got a point to make, make a good point. Try not to swear at people. Try not to take people to task, and don't put up anything risky. Because once it's out there, it's 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 out there. And I think my generation of of individuals are usually really wary about posting anything in that space. And, and don't be frightened to go to events as well. I know we haven't seen many events recently because of everything that's been going on. They are starting to come back now. And just go up and chat to people. Don't don't be frightened to just, just walk up and say, hi, you know, I want to get into this space. Is there anybody here on the stall or that you know that I can have a brief chat with? Um, come with a coffee as well. Good, good, a good little tip. Come with a gift of coffee. Nobody's going to say no to the coffee. I actually, on that, that's, that's another, you know, way to get things done. I had a friend who was, this was like years ago, but they were working in the cooperative, um, which is a supermarket or they were in the supermarket bit and they were actually in product design of new food. So there was a fridge with just loads of food and cake and all this. And whenever they wanted to get something done from other areas of the business, this was back when, you know, everyone's in office. So he'd go to their desk holding a cake and just talk about what they needed and just be like, Oh, Oh, do you, do you want this? Oh, do you want this cake? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can leave this cake with you. And then they'd get the thing they needed a lot quicker. So yeah, don't, don't underestimate making your, if you want something from someone, if you can make them happy, you're probably going to get what you want a lot faster. <laughs> oh, Stefania, I could tell you all kinds of tales on that one. You've just described pretty much my main tactic when I deal with developers or IT people. You know, a good tip I have for anybody getting into this space. IT people and developers can be a bit of a funny breed. As I said, they're a bit like a pack of wolves. If you show weakness or you try to make out you know something and you obviously don't, you're going to get torn apart. And it's probably like that in a lot of other disciplines as well, but I'm using this as an example. If you go and present them a challenge, so you don't go in and tell them what to do, but you say, hey, guys, if we had, don't, didn't worry about budget, 
and we wanted to secure our infrastructure because we're going, you know, we've gone to the cloud. We're just a bit concerned that maybe we've got too many third parties. What would you guys do? By the way, here's a large amount of coffee and a large amount of very sugary donuts with a brand new pack of whiteboard pens and the biggest whiteboard you could ever imagine. Wow. What, what could we do? And boom, you'll get magic, you know, because <laughs> they're not focusing on the fact that you're in, in InfoSec. Uh, first of all, they're focusing on they got a free coffee. Then they're focusing yeah. on the fact they've just had a bit of a sugar rush. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, every, every de- seemingly developer, project manager, IT person, or any, anybody in that space loves to kind of write stuff. I nearly said the swear word there on a whiteboard and mind map it out and draw a document, you know, your, your, your network. And then boom, all of a sudden, as long as you take pictures of it, You've got your answer, and they're engaged. And if you say, "If I could mm. get you, if I could get you the budget to do this, would you be willing to do yeah. it?" Boom! That engagement is there, and you look like a rock star. When I first went to kind of like seven character passwords, it wasn't even complex at the time. I actually took I, we we were we set the change, and I actually took a, a, two large tins of of roses and Quality Street and dumped them on the help desk. So we really appreciate everything that you do for us with incident response and stuff like that. And I'd always get the manager turn around and go, what are you doing? What have you done? What are you about to do? It's like, what's, what's coming our way? (laughs) I'm about to change the password policy. You may get a few calls. (laughs) Remember whenever you're putting something in, in security wise, there is going to be an effect and you have to try to figure out who's going to be affected by it. And if there is any kind of slightly negative effects that could come out of it, like a bit more work for them to do, to do something like two-factor authentication, it took a long time for that in many companies to kind of get it right. And it wasn't because of IT problems or whatever. It was general acceptance. You know, if you've got old-timers who, who are used to doing the password but they're not used to, you know, getting a code from their phone at the, you know, on the second phase or whatever, then you're going to get resistance and people are going to start to hate security. And that's what you want to be really careful. Hearts and minds in security is a big, big thing because once you start losing credibility you know, in the organization, it gets really difficult to do anything because then you get people who just want to say no for the sake of saying no because they remember you, you, you made them have two-factor authentication without their buy-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a tough one with credibility. I really struggled with it um, when I started out in my career as a young woman in IT. I was so hesitant and reluctant to make a mistake or to put myself out there because I'm like, but if I put myself out there and then I get it wrong, like my credibility is destroyed. Um, now I feel more secure after, you know, six, seven years in the industry. But especially for the first few years, it was a real because I know that, yeah, once you lose the credibility, it's a lot hard to gain it. So I, um, I, I limited myself, which, um, well, it is what it is, but it's definitely something to be aware of. If you do have um, a, you know, different characters in your team, there may be some people that are afraid of this and coaching to, you know, help bring them out of their shell and tell them it's okay can really help. Absolutely, and and yeah, you know, you just remember that that half of us don't really know the answer right there, right then, straight away. We have to think about it. 
And one of the things I say to a lot of, of again, people that I mentor and people coming into this industry is learn some of the diversionary tactics a little bit. If you need to think about something, you do have time to think about it. It's very rare you ever get a situation where it's like, right, what do we need to do and what do we need to do now? Normally, it's indicative of an incident, like a really serious one. But even then, you probably need to think very carefully what you do before you do it. Um, This is why we war game and this is why we do playbooks. This is why we, as Stefania said, right at the beginning... Think about what could feasibly happen. Come up with a plan of action before it happens. You know, even if you're only doing it in your own head, you know, on a quiet Friday afternoon waiting for weekend to start, think about, okay, what would I do if ransomware hit? What would I do if the developers decided to do a new project and not include security? I've heard a bit about that uh, security chaos engineering. Like, what would happen if all of a sudden all our tools failed? Or uh, what would yeah. happen if we, if we weren't able, we're no longer able to communicate, or if our team was halved, um, et cetera? Um, so it's definitely an interesting area to get up to speed in. I did it in our MBCP. I killed myself for a day and, uh, <laughs> and let everybody decide what they were going to do. And it was telling. And I think it opened up a lot of eyes. And, and again, Another good tip, security incidents aren't always just ransomware or a malicious actor or or something, you know, technical happening to an environment. It's also something, it could be something else. It could be anything. You could have a finance officer who has, you know, they've only got one and they've got the only access to the bank account. And then all of a sudden something happens, like they decide to leave or or they go on sabbatical or they, they go into a coma or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're facing potential for people not to get paid or bills not to get paid and that can kill a company just as quickly mm-hmm. as a ransomware attack so when you're doing your risk management don't forget you know security is about securing the organization on a whole different set of levels not just the technical side if you're concentrating on the technical side you're obviously in cyber security if you're concentrating on the business you're in information security and and I think everybody needs to have some kind of knowledge of, of that aspect. I like to recommend a lot of newbies, and we are reaching the top end of the hour, but I like to, to recommend to a lot of newbies, try to stay non-specialized for the first five years of your career at least, or be open to it. You might be in a role where you're doing pen testing or you're doing development security recommendations, that kind of thing, but, but do try to step out of it. Learn what policy is. Go and get involved in projects outside of what you do because that, that knowledge and that um, experience works really well in your development going forward. But I'm going to hand over to Stefania for her final thoughts because, you know, she's a busy lady and I'm, I'm lucky to get her for, for, for the hour that I've got her for. So I'll, I'll let her kind of tell me what she thinks. <laughs> Thank you so much, James. That's what happens if you're in working in, in cybersecurity. You can be very, very busy. It's uh, we're, it's a Monday morning and I'm back to back till five. Um, but anyway, uh, closing tips, especially uh, for security newbies, um, network internally, speak to your security people if you want to make a transition there. Even if you're in finance or legal, speak to your security. If you, if you have a job and you want to move to security, 
speak to the security people in your team because they can probably see some of the overlap and give you some pointers. If you're currently not employed, I always recommend check out bug bounties because that can at least get you an understanding of like, you know, on, on, the, on the other side, you know, trying to find these bugs. And, you know, as we've said, you know, communication is key and also don't underestimate the power of LinkedIn, but use it as LinkedIn. It's not, yeah, it's not your Facebook. Um, so yeah, I probably will have, well, you'll have my name and you can probably find my details or my at DevStepOps. Always happy to help people trying to move into the industry. So feel free to reach out. Um, I might take a while to reply, but I will get to you, I promise. Um, and yeah, have a great day, everyone. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Stefania. Um, and to all of you out there, have a great day. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If there is anything else you want to, to know, drop um, a message out. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with us and we'll either provide it in additional content or we'll, we'll answer you direct. But thank you to everybody. Hope you all have a great day and we'll speak to you all again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day.